are listening to Velocino. The best stories have not yet been ridden. You will be taken along the scenic route and play a fly on the wall during light-hearted conversations with fascinating people from all aspects of the cycling universe. Enjoy the ride with your host, Gemma. Hi guys, it's my first podcast. Niels and Mike have been um, very generous letting me do this. I must say, I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm very excited as well. Um, I have a brilliant guest today. I really wanted to cover a topic that I think is quite important in cycling, not just for women, for guys as well, um, about the pressures we put on ourselves as effectively amateur athletes. As I said, I've got a really good guest that I think can talk about this topic no end. I'm hoping we have a great conversation. So welcome Alice Lethbridge. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. Um, Thanks for asking me along. Thank you for coming all this way as well. Um, I know that we've cycled together before. Usually I'm way behind you. But um, where, how did you first start cycling? How did you get into it? Because I don't, I don't actually know that. So I was a runner competing at quite a high level but I got quite a lot of stress fractures, major injuries um, that were putting me out of action. And I was actually waiting for surgery on my foot when the Olympics came to London in 2012. And I was persuaded to go and watch the road race at Box Hill because I literally live about 20 minutes cycle from there. And I just thought, wow, this looks so much fun. It looks so much more fun than sitting on a gym bike, keeping myself fit over the summer. So I got a bike, uh, joined up with the local cycling club, and it basically started there. So you were cycling. I think I did read something. You were cycled um, reps of box box here which I already this already rings alarm bells not alarm bells but completely the opposite as a beginner that would not be my choice of a venue so I already think you must have known at some point I'm quite good I could be quite good at this um I don't know really but I think like Like I say, it didn't take me very long to cycle to Box Hill and I was a little bit starstruck at having had the Olympics on the doorstep. So I picked up on the Olympic loop and just kept cycling round and round that little loop because I was close enough to home that I was like, if I get a puncture and I can't fix it because I was so scared about things like that, I was like, I'm sure someone will rescue me because I'm not too far away. But also I had like little targets, like I was trying to do three laps in under an hour. Um, I did get a few confidence boosts like by overtaking people on Box Hill, but I think at that time everyone was flocking to Box Hill. So you had like a huge range of athletes and whatever your ability, there was kind of always people that you could ride with up there even if you're on your own and things but I had no concept of how fast or slow I was really. Now I know Alice (laughs) a little bit and I've just heard her say that now I could imagine that she just overtook someone like Danny Rowe and thought oh it's just a little bit of a confidence boost you know I just just tried my hardest it was fine I I just imagine that whereas if it was me I I may overtake someone who, who definitely it's not a professional so I I can see how I can see how you got into it and I know you've had a massive journey with cycling really and I'm sure that we I would love to have time to talk about the whole thing but I don't know if you can give me kind of a whistle stop tour on just the highlights of of your like amateur career I guess so from there to almost where we are now but kind of the highlights really 
Yeah, so I think it, it took a few years for me to get my head around cycling, to be honest. Um, I was like always riding in the wrong gear for the first few years and things, didn't know how to ride downhill, didn't get the concept of like you can actually rest downhill in cycling compared to running and those sorts of things. So I think it was like three years before I sort of achieved what I was out to sort of get really. Um, and that was when I got like my first national medal in the circuit time trial championship. So the open road one, and I finished like just behind Julia Shaw, who was obviously like a legend um, of time trialing. So that was a huge confidence boost. And then the following year, um, I got myself what I would consider a super bike. So I got my first like proper expensive time trial bike and this is kind of relevant to being an amateur athlete because the only reason I could afford that was that a motorist had knocked me off my bike a few years earlier and the insurance payout finally came through. So that gave me the money to actually buy an expensive time trial bike and fast wheels. And then I just had like a really successful year where combined with having had my like first full year of being coached and a good fast bike, I sort of just set PB after PB after PB. Um, had to go at 100 mile time trial, which was my second attempt at it. I'd done it the year before and actually really liked it because I just like um, long rides. And I broke the national record, which was a shock to myself. Um, I think, I, I assume it shocked everyone else. Shocked, but <laughs> shocked everyone else, Alice. <laughs> yeah. We have to, in the real world, it, it shocked everyone else. And I, I couldn't believe it though. Like I never set out to really do it on that day. Although there'd been lots of chat on um, time trialing forum about the weather conditions being really good that day. And everyone was talking about the men's record going. So I thought, I'm just gonna have a look at what the good women's times are and like what it is that maybe I need to aim for. And the, like I set myself a target about five minutes slower than the record, but knew in the back of my mind what the record, well, I say the back of my mind. It was at the front of it your was mind, the, wasn't well, it? Well, <laughs> so I put these little sticky notes on my time trial bike. One had my 10 mile slip splits for three hours 50. One had my 10 mile slips splits for three hours 48 and then one had it for three hours 45 which would be to like break the record and I just had amazing legs that day I woke up feeling great and I was just above record pace for like pretty much the whole race although I started cramping really badly at 77 miles and thought crikey you're gonna throw this all away if you're not careful so that last 10 miles was really tough but I think just adrenaline like pushed me on um, and then that same year, so because I'd suddenly done this really good 100 mile time, um, breaking Beryl Burton's record was a big target for a few women um, around that time and for a few years. So actually, Nick, that everyone at Lavello will know, started nagging me and nagging me, like really, really nagging me, do a 12 hour, do a 12 hour. I'll buy you unicorn socks if you do a 12 hour. Because <laughs> um, we all know that cycling doesn't really pay. So um, yeah. unicorn <laughs> socks is, is, is good incentive to ride for 12 hours. Yeah, so um, I was like, oh, okay, I'll enter it. It's like not too far away because it was being held, the nationals was being held in Cambridge that year which um and part of the course was what I'd set the 100 mile record on and I think at that time like my 10 mile 25 mile and 50 mile personal bests were all on that course as well so I was quite confident on that course and I thought let's just give it a go 
like what's the worst that can happen the worst that can happen is i don't finish the race um and you know there's loads of people who've never even tried 12 hours so at least i'm gonna try it um i was still undecided like two weeks before whether i was gonna do it or not because I'd ridden 12 hours on a bike once before when I'd been on holiday in Mallorca, but that had involved lots of getting off the bike in between those 12 hours. Maybe some cafe stops. Yeah, some cafe stops and things. Um, But yeah, I just decided aim one was try and finish the 12 hour. Aim two was try and win the national championships because that's what it was. And then um, aim three was to go for the record. and again, like one of, I think the friends of the train, Mike Broadwith, gave me a schedule. Um, and then he told me off afterwards because apparently I was just bl- threw his schedule out the window and just rode faster than it the whole race. <laughs> um, but that was really good. And I think similar to the 100 miles, for me, having little breakdown targets really helped in the longer races. Yeah, because 12 hours, that must be... It's just daunting, really, I suppose. Um, sometimes you think, oh, it's just fine. You know, it's eight till eight. Or I don't know. What time did you start, actually? Um, I think that year I started at six something. Yeah, and then the following year, it was like a much later start of around eight, which meant it was kind of getting dark by the time I finished, okay, which is yeah. weird. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that is a bit odd, yeah. But I think you, um, it is daunting. And you went into it in retrospect with a... A mindset oh you know I'll just see what happens do you think at the time you really put some pressure on yourself or, or maybe not pressure just something to say actually I think I I do really want to achieve this but I'm gonna tell myself I don't know if this happened it's okay not a lot of other people are doing this it will be great but but really I I, I do really want to get the record yeah I mean I did really really want to get the record because I realized how prestigious it was how big a part of history it was but I also really had no idea if I could do it or not because there were a couple of other um, amazing female athletes who'd made a good few attempts at it, like experienced 12-hour riders, and they just hadn't been able to break the record. And I didn't really consider myself as strong as them. And like I say, I I literally had no idea if I could last that long on a time trial bike because I'd never ridden more than 100 miles on it, which had been like four hours. Um, So I had the road bike as a spare, like backup. I I honestly thought I was going to end up on the road bike at some point. But again, it was just one of those days where I think things aligned and I had just a cracking race. Just to me, it's completely unbelievable I can't I can't even imagine cycling that long let alone doing it to some form of target so I'm in awe really I'm in complete awe of you um and I know we've we've touched on it slightly but in that journey to get there and maybe to where you are now did you come across any obstacles either from yourself or from others around cycling I think I know for me when I first started I was a runner actually as well and I thought, I'm fit. This, this, how hard can this be? Well, how mistaken I was, actually. I thought, how hard can it be? I I, um, I, I think I can do this. I'm just going to follow people. I think I entered a crit race, actually, which is the worst mistake ever. And I thought, I'll just cycle around. It, it will be fine. You know, I'm, I can do that. It was awful. Uh, it, it, it was the worst thing I've ever done. Now, you being possibly more talented and gifted than I am, maybe didn't have that, that problem, but... Yeah, what what kind of things, barriers did you come up against on that journey? Anything really from, like you talked about, 
kit, you know, bike, having the right bike is a big thing to your training focus, anything really, eating. Yeah, so um, like actually what I was wearing was probably the first mistake I made. So I remember being on one of my first winter rides with Epsom CC and I basically was wearing running kit like on the bike because partly I wasn't really sure whether cycling was going to be my thing. I was really shocked at how expensive cycling kit was compared to running kit. Like I couldn't quite get my head around it. So I was like, oh, I'll be fine with running kit. I can just wear like my running leggings and like my running top. Uh, big mistake riding in the drizzly wet in that I pretty much got hypothermia oh, um, and the um, Epsom have some really like um, sort of much older riders who like were riding years and years ago so they um actually tore up a newspaper they got a newspaper tore it up and got me to stick it down my front and under my helmet to get me home like warm enough (laughs) so yeah that was a mistake i made um my second ever time trial i went totally off course and nearly ended up on the motorway that was a big mistake that was like actually properly learn where you're going um and then i moved across to kingston wheelers after about a year of riding because epsom didn't have any women that really wanted to race at the time and i wanted to have a go at a few different things with racing and because i was fairly fit they just threw me in like with their stronger riders straight off but i really didn't know how to ride a bike properly like i said before i had no idea about gearing i had no idea about how to descend or corner so i'd be on rides and i'd be absolutely fine then everyone would just disappear and i'd be like what's happened here because i was just riding a bike wrong so it took a while before like somebody sort of came along and was like actually have you ever thought about doing this or thought about doing that um and so one thing like i always like to say to people coming into the sport like when new people come into the club is i like to sort of try and check if they know how to ride a bike properly or give some advice because i spent months making mistakes and i I must have just yeah i think that's possibly the difference i mean with cycling and maybe other sports as well, but particularly running. And I know lots of people come into cycling from running, having been injured. You just forget that there's these other elements to it that you need to learn. And and yes, some people may be naturally skilled at that. They can ride their bike. They've got great handling, great balance, etc. But it doesn't come. And I think it takes time. And you forget that when you first start riding and you th- take it for granted or you, I don't know, that, that, that people have that and they can and achieve it and you think how how are they doing it how is this possible and it does come but it just takes I I believe that it takes time yeah. and like I was really grateful when I first got a time trial bike that someone just warned me before my first ride they said the steering will be really different just be really careful on the steering with the narrow bars and that was a very useful bit of advice because I think otherwise I'd have just fallen straight off yeah because it's dangerous have you yeah. uh, not that I really want to discuss this but have you ever had any uh, near misses or, or really moments where you just thought this this is actually this is dangerous and I, I'm 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 unsure or more or worse um yeah I mean probably like descending um I'm a bit of a wimp descending I love going uphill I actually don't like going downhill and I think a lot of people um know that um so yeah and I think really it was like not knowing how to ride downhill not knowing like not to use my brakes all the time 
So that's probably when I've had the most danger with my cycling was like going downhill. I used to try and like be on the brakes all the time and then you'd smell the burning, but I didn't actually realize that wasn't what I was meant to do. First time I ever went to Mallorca, which I'm sure lots of people have ridden um, over there, Puyma Hall, it took me longer to get down the hill than it did up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Only you, Alison. <laughs> I had to stop three times on the way down to like calm myself down and like, yeah. And whilst you're doing all of this and 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 training and racing and doing mainly time trials but other things you're holding down a full-time job as well and I I think I know what you do but remind me I'm not entirely sure actually yeah so I'm a teacher I teach biology but um I'm also ahead of year and I think that's the yeah that's (laughs) the bit that I find it hard to like manage the sport around mostly because the actual teaching job it like the classroom bit is quite predictable in a sense like you can plan your lessons you can plan when you're going to do your marking and stuff but being ahead of year you cannot plan at all what's going to happen with that because you can have things come up in the day that mean you've got to work really late at night um you can have things that come up that take hours and hours of of work unexpectedly and things so when I took over being like I've been ahead of year for seven years now um and when I started that role I quite quickly realized I had to switch my training regime in order to be able to fit things in and I used to train in the evenings mainly like uh, I'm just suspect a lot of people do and I just realized I was getting stuck at school a lot and stuck at work so I switched to training at sort of 4 35 a.m oh well (laughs) yeah I mean I train early but that's very early and I think lots of people have this I was going to ask you how you handled that that part of work where you you can't manage you can't manage your your work schedule all the time and I know that we all feel it I'm going to get on the bike at 6 p.m for some reason I don't know if it's just me or all cyclists we have an exact time we're going to get on the bike and even if it's 5:48, I don't know it's just it seems to be the exact thing we're gonna get on the bike and if something interrupts that or doesn't go right that sometimes you don't have any influence over it becomes instantly really stressful and it's not your job so why am I uh, why am I stressed maybe it's my job that causes that stress so it seems like a good idea to to swap your training around but yeah how do you deal with the the different things that come up and you've got obviously a, a, a training schedule that's important to you as it is to everyone to hit some targets and to train for things like this and it can just be interrupted at a moment's notice almost yeah so I think that's like why I made the decision to switch to mornings and it in fact what had happened was I was training in the evenings and we had some things come up at work um that men I missed my training session I remember it's one week I like missed my crucial session of the week and then I was like oh, I'll do it the next day and then I had to miss it the next day and I was like right I have to fit it in. it's Thursday now I have to fit this in but it was parents evening so it's like the only way I can do this is to get up super early I thought you were going to say then the only way I can do this <laughs> is to do it in front of the parents oh, no, well, <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> whilst holding parents evening <laughs> yeah that, that would be quite good but um yeah so I did that and then I realized like that day I felt so much calmer than I normally did because for me my training was important and what had been happening I think was all day at work I'd been getting anxious about getting home to train I'd been getting anxious about being able to eat at the right time in the day to then be able to train but I'd also been getting really anxious about what was going on at work 
And all that anxiety was building up in me. And then I'd get home and I was exhausted and I couldn't hit my targets in my training. And I would think it was me and not really recognizing that actually I was just getting too stressed by everything. Um, so I thought I'm going to try and make this change. I am not a morning person at all. I love my sleep. Um, but I realized that if I wanted to achieve the goals I had in cycling, that I was going to have to make some sacrifices. Um, so yeah, I started the early morning training, had to have a chat with my coach about that because I was quite limited on what I could fit in because really I didn't want to get up before five, but that meant I had sort of an hour, hour and a quarter max to be able to get into work on time. Um, so we had to adjust a few things and then we decided we'd kind of overload me a bit in the school holidays um, because although I would have work to do, I was much more flexible. Um, yeah, and you didn't have that the stress. I guess you could manage it. The, the workload is under your schedule rather yeah. than having to yeah rely on other people or things. So that sounds, well, it's very different. And I guess there'll be some teachers listening who either do that or might think, Oh, actually, that's quite a good yeah. idea. Maybe I could, I could do I that. I think for anyone listening who's got a job, it's about, you know, if it's not working for you at the moment, having a sit down and have a real think about what might work better for you. Um, like some people, it will work well for them to maybe go at lunchtime. Some people will prefer to train in the evenings, but then maybe like try and look at week on week and see what your schedule is and be like, okay, that day might be a bit less stressful for me so put my key important session on that day and if that means juggling around your days a bit actually that will be more beneficial for you in the long run I think we have and particularly as cyclists because there's this um concept and um well everything really that we do our long ride at the weekend we have to do our long ride at the weekend it's mostly a Sunday but it can it could be a Saturday and I think I mentioned someone the other day and I know work is usually a factor in this I was like well what if your schedule wasn't seven days and we looked at a schedule that was 10 days. It's just a 10 day schedule instead of a seven day one. Well, there was, there was shock. They didn't know how to deal with it. And I was like, and you may have to do your intervals at the weekend instead of your long ride. And you know what, for the the friend that I was discussing it with, it, it looked like something that was going to work for them. And you just have to think about this in a different way. And it is difficult. I understand we, we train and we socialize on the bikes with other people as well. And there's only, and that, that gives us motivation. There's only so much we can do by ourselves. I don't know if you found actually by doing this, you ended up doing more training, more training by yourself rather than with other people. And whether that was motivational for you or, or a little bit isolating sometimes. Yeah. So I think I did end up doing more training by myself and a lot of my training is on the turbo as a result of it being um, early in the morning and given where I live. So I know some people could actually train early on the morning and have quite nice, quiet roads, but mine would just even be traffic filled sort of at that time. Um, and for me, it also takes the stress away of like not having to worry about punctures and things. It's a little bit more controlled. Um, but both the coaches I've had, I made it very clear to them that I personally need at least every couple of weeks uh, ride without targets, just with friends in oh, my schedule. It's really important. It's um, nice that you recognise that actually, and maybe it took you a while to do that because you were like, "Oh, I can. I think I can do this. I can do all these turbos, and I'm going to get really, I'm going to get great, and I'm going to achieve my targets." But then another side of your cycling slips, which is that 
mot- that social motivation that you have. Yeah, and I think like at first, and for anyone else maybe listening, like when you first get a coach, you just want to please them and you don't want to question them. You just want to do everything that they say. But I recognized that that was actually making me quite unhappy at first. So I think it's really important to speak up. And although obviously like a coach is planning things for you, the dialogue is so important. You need to tell them if things aren't working um, or things are sort of making you lose your enjoyment on the bike. And you will you will need to do things you don't like. That's the biggest thing I need. It always hurts. <laughs> it always hurts. Yeah. I think even... As even if you get to whatever level, um, better than you are now or an amateur or then possibly a pro, I can't imagine that it's never not going to hurt or be horrible. Yeah. And I, I think like when I first sort of started riding, I just picked some off the shelf training plans. And what I noticed was I just picked the intervals I liked. So like lots of five minute intervals, lots of 10 minute intervals. And then I got a coach and I was like, what? I've got to do sprint intervals and short stuff. And I know how much mm. you like sprinting. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it, like working on your weaknesses improves like your strengths as well. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, it's good to have that variety, but also just that's that social aspect of the cycling. And I think as well for like racing obviously for time trialing the long rides on my own were quite useful but I also like to do a bit of road racing and it's really important to do group riding for that as well um to learn how to react to other people around you um and those sorts of things yeah I know that when I come I also love my turbo um but I know that if I've been on been training on it for a long time and I've not been out in a group if I suddenly go out and then even a group of like five or six or so it just takes me a while just to get back into that again and I think yeah that is important and uh, the social aspect a little bit of not technical but kind of just used to riding with other people again and not being in your own space it's nice it's it's nice but it takes some getting used to as well and I think just having the headspace as well just having rides where you can go and chat you're not worrying about numbers at all I'll record everything on my Garmin but literally if I get club ride in my schedule I don't look at anything I don't look at my power I don't look at my heart rate um the only thing I might look at is try and follow the map and like make sure I don't get lost but um yeah yeah I think sometimes as well I love I'm a bit of a gadget person so bikes appeal to me because I like the mechanical side of it I like the how they work and obviously I love the gadgets and the numbers but it's overwhelming sometimes um I think I went to start a race the other day got my Garmin all set up it's great and I'm just warming up I I feel relatively good you know I've had my food it says performance condition minus eight I was like oh no this is to be fair mine always say minus it's I I think I've seen it say plus one and you just look at that and I think I'm just gonna have to ignore that I think I feel fine but the, the information that we can get brilliant great for coaches great for you to see but it can be just overwhelming and almost change your mindset on how you actually may be feeling that day yeah and I think that's a really important thing for people to remember because there can be days where your power meter sort of telling you you're not riding that well but actually you are or vice versa um there can be like faults with the the gadgets but also it can just be you know there are other variables that affect 
these readings and things and also you might turn up to a race and the um like the system's just not working like your power meter batteries run out or your heart rate monitor's not connecting or something so i think if there are times in training where you do need to learn to ride on feel and although i have a power meter i've trained with power for quite a few years now um i don't really look at it very much in races i even time trials like i'll glance at it because i know what ballpark figure i need to be in but i won't stress if it's like 10 watts 20 watts out um i prefer to ride on feel with my legs and i honestly wouldn't have broken beryl burton's record if i'd ridden to power targets because it would have limited me oh it's just <laughs> interesting actually because i think yeah also how can you do how can you look at that and be so focused for the 12 hours i think Maybe it's a really nice place to be if you're just focusing on how you feel instead. I know you need a little bit of backup from the numbers just to check, but it makes me maybe want to do it a little bit more. No, I definitely, I definitely don't want to ride 12 hours. <laughs> I, well, that's what I think. They use it as backup. Like I always look at stuff and analyse it after races or after rides, um, but I just think it's so crucial to be able to trust your own judgment and I think you know some of the professionals recently at the Tour de France and the Giro Rossa they were saying you know some of the guys they rode off feel they didn't look at their numbers. Ella Philippe I reckon yeah. that's off feel I don't think he can be looking I'm not sure he can be looking at his uh, his power meter. I suppose on the flip side of that it it can sometimes get to you and it it, it doesn't always go well um is there any times really where you've really struggled either over a short or a, a longer period of time with with something either around cycling or around some of these things that we've talked about yeah so the end of 2018 i started to get in a bit of a downward spiral um i'd obviously 2017 had been an amazing year for me um i'd broken records i'd pb'd at everything i'd won multiple national medals and and things and everyone said to me that year, oh, you can't top this next year. But I was like, yeah, I can. Oh, that's <laughs> was good. That, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I can do better. I think I can do better. I think, you know, I don't think I got everything right in 2017. So then 2018, I came out and I think I, I'm pretty sure I set PBs at every distance again, including like adding quite a distance to the 12 hour. Um, and but I was overtraining and I was putting far too much pressure on myself and I was taking on the weight of everyone around me, sort of like expecting me to do well. Um, work was also incredibly busy at that time. And I also went through quite a difficult time in my personal life. And I basically used the bike to bury myself and escape from everything. Um, so I trained harder and harder and harder and I actually stopped talking to my coach properly. Um, so I didn't let him know anything was wrong. I was putting out good numbers still. I was still achieving, but gradually I, my body was breaking down both physically and mentally. Um, and I remember my last race of the season was like this. It was a 30 mile race and I'd never done 30 miles before. Um, and I finished the race. I'd struggled in it I'd felt exhausted I'd pretty much felt like I was like cycling through treacle 
that race. Um, I feel like that every day. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it didn't feel good. And I remember getting back to headquarters and although it didn't feel good, I'd ridden a pretty good time. It was the second fastest time ever, but I walked into headquarters and it was like two or three people just one after the other said, oh, you didn't break Rachel's time. I'm surprised you didn't break Rachel's time. Straight away. Straight away, not like, well done. And I was just like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm like, I wasn't happy out on the bike. I wasn't happy with the result. Afterwards, I made the mistake of like going on the forums and seeing people commenting about how I'd had a really bad ride. I'm um, almost like <laughs> heartbroken listening to that. It, it's it's hard. Yeah. I, that's that's really and hard. I just broke down. I was like, I'm not surprised. You know, and then I tried to pick myself back up for um, 2019. Um, I trained hard over the winter. I really wanted to do another 12 hour and try and get 300 miles. That was like sort of a landmark. And I trained really well over the winter, but I was not eating properly for the training I was doing just because I was busy at work more than anything else. It wasn't like a conscious thing. I was just training too much around too much going on in life. Um, And I was getting more and more tired and I came out at the start of 2019 season and I did an all right race of 25 miles that kind of went okay it wasn't great but it was all right and then I just fell apart pretty much I can see even in the way I know you guys can't see Alice now but even in the way you're talking about um this period of time in your life compared to the first time you broke these records there's just a difference in the way I I can see you and the way you talk about it and I think it's easy for us to recognize it now but I can really see how you didn't recognize it at the time because you thought actually this is okay I think I can do better I don't I don't know how it felt I, I know looking back you can see and see how it felt and see what was happening but how did you feel at the time was it different to that um at the time, I got myself in what I can only describe as a right pickle. Um, That's very well worded, Alice. I basically, I got it in my head that the only reason I had friends in cycling was because people wanted to cycle with someone who was breaking records and winning national medals and stuff. I thought that no one in my local club would want to ride with me. I thought that I couldn't talk to anybody about what was going on. I thought I just overnight lost all my ability as a cyclist because I couldn't like hit numbers anywhere near what I normally could. I just wasn't enjoying being on the bike at all. I didn't really want to go and train, but I didn't want to lose all the effort I felt I'd put in. I know it happens. I mean, this is, we're talking about quite a a big thing here, but to all of us, we, we always think, Oh, I, I, I feel tired. I'm not I'm just not sure about this. It's not right. But I think I'll fix it by doing some more training. It's bound to make it better. And even at a really low level, I, we all do that. I, I, I'm sure we do. But this obviously was a much bigger level and, a, and a, a bigger thing. Who did you, what happened really? Who did you talk to eventually? I'm, I'm hoping you did, <laughs> did yeah, talk to someone. So... I was actually quite fortunate, like, um, I only have one sort of like sponsorship deal um, with a company called Fourth Edge who do blood testing. And I was quite fortunate that I had a test due with them in that April. 
Um, and basically I got the results back from them and they have a doctor who report on it and she basically said, you need to go and see your GP. She said, you're not very well at all was the report that came through um, from them and they actually offered me to sort of speak to their doctors first to then go to my GP and all the overtraining um, and I'm not going to say under fueling as such, but incorrectly fueling um, and by that, what I mean is I'd been cramming my training in in the morning, trying to squeeze extra training in, going into work, being crazy busy at work and not eating sufficiently until the end of the workday, about 4 p.m. So it wasn't refueling at all. Um, yeah, I went to the doctors and they basically said, yeah, you're like your hormones are all over the place. You're just you're not well. You need to take time off riding and that was obviously like a complete breakdown point for me because I didn't want to give up my sport I do like sport um and I spoke to my teammate um Liz from drag to zero as well um and then also to her husband who is a coach um and we had a we had a chat and he um offered me some advice through Liz basically um and them bless them they were like come and stay with us for a couple of weeks we're gonna look after you oh, so, lo <laughs> yeah. oh, it's lovely. so yeah they did and it was just like Liz is my friend and my teammate and they've got a little dog and it was literally like I go and stay with them and they wouldn't let me do anything but play with the dog and do some very easy riding on my bike and it was like ride if you want to don't ride if you don't want to just refind your love of the bike and get some good rest um and so yeah that was really the turning point um, yeah did you did although you obviously well hopefully knew actually I am quite quite ill here was it still hard because to go from doing what well, you're effectively overtraining so a lot of training to 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 nothing or was it a relief or, or something different I don't I don't it know it was both at the same time I was relieved that there was like an end to this fatigue that had been building up and a reason possibly yeah, that, that you weren't getting the numbers that you yeah, wanted the to reason was really important because I could kind of like realize it wasn't me as like it wasn't that I'd lost my ability as such but there was kind of no end in sight for me immediately because the doctor said to me well you might be able to get back on the bike properly in a month it might take six months it depends how well you follow our advice that's probably the worst thing for an athlete so we're really planned or I imagine you are as well Alice you know I I could tell you what I'm doing next week I can tell you what I'm doing next month and to sudden for someone to say to you, actually, I don't know if it's going to be a week or a month or many months. That that's yeah. quite hard, actually. Whereas you break your leg, and you, it, it, not that I'd wish for anyone to break their leg, but um, y you have a time scale. Yeah, and I think one of the hardest things for me was they basically said you'll get back on the bike sooner if you stop training. Oh wow! So a complete <laughs> a complete yeah. a mind shift because again, like I said, we always think. I'm sure I'll get better if I go on the bike more. Yeah, and, and probably like a lot of people, because I was having some difficulties in my personal life at the time, your exercise your, is your escape, yeah. it's your mental relief. So I was having kind of my mental crutch taken away from me as well. So that was a really difficult time. But I also didn't want to lose the season no. completely. So I cooperated uh, like against my sort of, my gut didn't want to do that. I had to really talk myself into the listening to like maximum hour to 90 minutes, very easy riding 
a day and also just completely restructuring the way I was eating in the day. And that was one that was a really hard thing because I was so used to like skipping breakfast, snacking at lunch and I had to totally retrain my body to take on food in the morning, um, which was very, very hard because I just physically feel sick. I didn't want to eat, but I was determined to sort of turn things around. And I was lucky that it it did seem that my body was responding quite quickly. But I think I then tried to jump back into racing too soon. Um, I wanted to try and defend the bar title, um, which I didn't quite manage to do that year, but I finished second. So I think given that I'd been told in May I might not race at all that year, it wasn't too bad. Um, But I also had a lot of issues with my bike as well the time trial bike at that time so I was getting frustrated there and after so I managed to time trial until July like between May and July and then I had the most miserable experience ever on my time trial bike in the national hundred back last year in 2019 basically I'd had some changes made to my setup um in an effort to try and go faster, but also to try and solve some niggly injuries that I'd been carrying like through the previous seasons. And it didn't work for me, but also I think just, I probably still wasn't well enough to be doing that. And I just sat after that race and cried. And it wasn't because I hadn't won. It was just because hundred mile time trials was my favorite thing to do. And I'd been so unhappy all race. And I thought about stopping, but I wanted to support my teammates and still go for the team, um, like, title. But I just fell out of love with time trialing that day. So I spoke to my coach, who I'd moved to being coached um, by Mark at that time. And we said, you need to do something completely different. Do you know what happened then, guys? I think I know what happened now. Well, I'm not sure if I've got the timing right for this, actually. Um, but I turned up at a cyclocross event at Hillingdon only to discover Alice was there. <laughs> this is Alice who I um, chase in a road race. Not even chase, actually. She's out of sight. Has Is completely steady, as we know, on a time trial bike. She's turned up on a cyclocross bike. For once, I'm thinking, you know what? I, I I think I think I could maybe help Alice here. This will be good. So Alice and I, it was very muddy, wasn't it? It was awful, yeah. as he's all cycled across. I, I'm not sure how you felt about it, but I was just really excited to, to show you the course. And I felt like it wasn't about competition for me. It was about, I think I could just help, I think I could just help someone do something different. And I know you're, well, I think you were a bit nervous, but just to do something different. Yeah, so yeah, so I decided to do a little bit of road racing and realized I didn't have the great skills. So everyone was like, get a cyclocross bike, have a go at this. And in fact, um, Amy from Lavello took me out on a ride and let me have like a go on their spare bike. And then, yeah, people were like, go and enter a race, go and enter a race. And in fact, Gemma, you had to convince me to turn up to Hillingdon. Um, I refused to enter in advance. I was like, I'm gonna turn up and ride around with you. And then I might enter. Oh, you haven't even entered. I probably- <laughs> I had even entered no <laughs> I probably knew this but I, I can't remember that far yeah. it was a year ago I was, oh, wow. really, I was really scared of doing it it was something new but oh it was so much fun and like one thing I find about cyclocross and in fact I did the national hill climb last weekend and I was riding around the car park on my road bike like the car park was a field muddy field just having so much fun and thinking I need to get back to cyclocross again this winter because I think it just it just reminds me of being a kid 
And I think no one, people know Alice Lethbridge. They know you in the time trial community. They know you in the road racing community and I guess with the clubs that you ride with as well. But no one really knew Alice Lethbridge with the cyclocross bike. So you could just turn up, do whatever felt great for you or not so great if you were sliding around and just well hopefully the idea was to have a great time but feel on a bike on a bike have a great time on a bike yeah and that's what I found and I remember going around some of the little corners thinking oh my goodness I'm gonna fall off and then I didn't fall off and just the elation and then I was like oh my goodness I'm actually racing you need to like stop just celebrating that you didn't fall off your bike (laughs) I know which bit she enjoyed the best at Hillingdon there is a a particular bit that's actually not not very cyclocrossy it's just a long straight and the whole time I thought Alice is going to catch me whatever happens in the technical section she's like a rocket down this yeah. section she's going to catch me I'm sure that was quite funny because I started completely last on the grid because I'd entered because like, you entered so on the late. day mistake yeah um but I did like that bit because I was struggling a bit on the technical bit and then I could zoom up there and then I'd have to like try not to lose too much time on the technical bit but it was just great to do something different. And I think like um, Alex Dowsett, who's obviously one of the great cyclists in the UK, he um, did some interviews like a few months ago talking about like youngsters getting into the sport. And one thing that really stood out to me was he said, just try everything. He was like, don't spend your money on a power meter when you're just getting into it. Buy a cyclocross bike instead or buy a mountain bike. Um, have a go at track have a go at time trialing and road yeah but just have a go at everything and do you think i'm i'm not saying that cyclocross was was the the way back as much as i would love it to be with my love for the sport but yeah do you think that combined with some other things towards the end of that year was maybe a turning point out of out of this period of time that there just wasn't so great for you yeah because it was going in and doing something that didn't have the pressure associated with it like obviously i still wanted to do well but the finishing position wasn't so much the achievement it was getting around the course it was like trying to go down a couple of those descents without freaking out and getting off my bike um took a few laps to do that i did make it down like once without like yeah getting off and that was scary but it was a good sense of achievement so i think it's like if things aren't going quite right or you sort of i guess i'd almost stagnated as well it was about setting different targets and I did a few things as well. Like I did some road races with the men because going into those, there was no pressure on me to win. Yeah. However, what, what I did, like, yeah, it was always going to be an achievement. Like if I didn't get beaten by all the men, really. Um, and that just took some of the pressure off me and got me back enjoying the sport again. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think looking back, um. I don't know how you feel about that part of your your life and the journey you went on through that and whether you feel it's helped you, I guess, have a different outlook on what you do now and what you might do differently. Yeah, it's I've got a different outlook on my training and my cycling, but also just life generally, I think. Um, I've learned not to put so much pressure on myself. I've learned to take breaks when I need it I've learned that if I miss a training session here or there because I'm exhausted from work actually that's going to be beneficial in the long run Um, I've learned about periodization with training as well like having an easy week which I absolutely hated at first 
Um, and my coach had to kind of set up alerts, like for if I was doing more than I should do. Um, and like a yeah. siren goes off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty he much. wakes up in the middle of the night because Alice is turboing. Yeah. Um, and he started like, uh, I know this sounds like almost like with a child, but he would tell me I got a gold star if I like rode easy, properly easy. Um, so, so it's still a target. I yeah. think there, there must be something around that. Then rather than just saying free ride, 60, well, even with a time target is yeah. great. You, if you've still got something to um, achieve as a target, even if it's stay within a heart rate or a power yeah. and you can only do 60 minutes, it still feels like I'm going to tick that off. I'm, I'm going to yeah. get it done, but it's not too much for your body. Yeah. And like the other thing like I wasn't really aware of until the last year was even zones and stuff like people talked about zones and I didn't really know my zone was like hard yeah the whole time <laughs> yeah hard, hard the whole time that's all I liked doing but I got more in tune with like what different powers were what different heart rates meant um made myself eat better educated like although I knew a lot about nutrition I educated myself a bit more about nutrition in terms of recovery and fueling um like what I was doing better so like the different types of eating for different types of riding whether it be like short high intensity intervals or long rides um and I just made more friends in the sport as well I think oh that's lovely um, yeah. which yeah is nice and I think you know by actually speaking up about what I was going through it kind of resonated with a lot of people as well um and I kind of always think if you go through a bad time, like if you can then use it to help some other people. Yeah, um, because maybe someone would pick pick up something, one of those first things that you talked about. So they may not have your the, the experience that you went through fully, but they might recognise that actually I, I pushed all my sessions together. I did double sessions and I, oh, I haven't had a rest week for six weeks or a recovery week for six weeks. And how can we spot those before it does turn into something more serious? Because going back to, again, we are amateurs and we, we have other pressures and life happening around us. And sometimes it feels quite isolating and you're trying to get all of this done and perform and it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And I, th I think the thing that, people sort of spoke to me the most about that they'd realized was the whole thing about getting carried away with work and then stressing themselves to get their training in and what a lot of people suddenly said they were twigging with was that they weren't eating enough at lunch or they weren't having something to eat before they left work and then they were cycling home and then trying to get on the turbo and do a training session and they just couldn't hit their training numbers at all but they hadn't really considered that their commute was using up a lot of energy or that actually their day at work was using up yeah. um, a lot of energy and I think it also taught me to train a bit smarter um, and again that was something I could talk to other people about like less is sometimes more. Yeah I think the concept of wouldn't we like to be the best we can be by doing the least we can do? It, it is an odd concept and yet it's it's perfect. You know, we want to do as little as possible to get the most out of it. But for some reason, we always think that we want to do the most to get the most out of it, which seems bizarre now. Yeah. But yeah. And I just, I also now just plan and structure things a bit better around work as well. Like I'll accept like having to miss a race maybe that I'd quite like to do if I know work is going to be really busy for those two or three weeks or entering the race but actually allowing myself to not do as well as I would 
not coming first yeah (laughs) yeah you know it is things like that because like you say we're amateurs and we have a life outside of the sport and as much as we'd probably like all like to give up work and just like ride our bikes all day we can't do that because it's an expensive sport and we've got to be able to buy our bikes and pay for the maintenance and everything and pay our entry fees and all these sorts of things um so yeah sometimes it's just about being kind to yourself yeah and what what does motivate you or what motivations do you have going forward for say I know that everything is a little bit up in the air at the moment but I think either daily weekly monthly or or longer motivations for what you're going to do going forward in in all different disciplines I know you do a lot of thrifting now um which is which is a, a pressure in itself really but yeah what are you what are your plans going forward um so I would like to come back to time trialing at some point because um, I still feel I could improve um, at different distances, some aspects there. But immediately, like this year, my aim had been to focus on road racing for a year just to do something a bit different. So obviously with us all having sort of lost 2020 racing wise, hopefully I'll be able to have a go at that next year and focus on that. But also I'm really keen just to promote the women's side of the sport more. And the hill climb last weekend, for me, it was more about going to be part of an amazing point in history for women, um, getting the biggest field ever that they'd had at a national hill climb, getting like 30% of the field. Um, But I want to get us to get that up to 50%. I want to bring more women into the sport because... I've really enjoyed it. I've made so many good friends. I've learned a lot about myself as a person. I've obviously got physical benefits from it. Um, but I struggled to get into the sport, really. I didn't know where to go. Um, like I say, my first club didn't really have any females competing and that sort of thing. So that's one of my main aims going forward. Yeah, I want some success myself, but I really want to use sort of my success from the past to try and push forward the next generation and to inspire people to to inspire women and and guys as well but women particularly to to know that we can compete and we we do want to be competitive even with each other sometimes um although we are nice and we have lots of friends we we want to compete we want to do really well and make improvements for ourselves yeah so that's what i think like is really important and that's what I've been trying to do out on the road but also with like the Zwifting you said we've really been trying to connect some women through that because I think it is really hard like out on the road like Lavella are brilliant because you've managed to get a group of women together like at this sort of quite quickly um, but I know lots of clubs only have one or two women dotted so one of my friends and I decided that with a lot more people using the turbo and Zwifting this year, we'd try and connect people on Zwift with the hope that they could then like meet up in real life once sort of lockdown measures were eased. And that's been happening. That would be brilliant. So yeah, brilliant. That's really good. And, you know, quite a few of my Zwift team came to the National Hill Climb and they said they'd never heard about hill climbing before I was talking about it in our chat groups and stuff. And they were like, oh, we'll go and have a go. Um, and then they realised, <laughs> I don't even know, Alice, actually, hill climbing is is very far from what I do. So I'm not even sure how long it takes to get up the hill or, or anything, really. But I yeah, imagine it's hard. Every hill's different. Um, the Nationals this weekend, the winners did it, like, the winner did it in just under two minutes 50. But some of the women were doing it in over five minutes. So, um, but that was 
that was brilliant to see. Like, I think the the winners were absolutely amazing at the weekend, but there were a couple of women who were so inspirational. One I've seen at multiple hill climbs and she races in a running vest over a cycling jersey. She must so have she, got, I think she picked that up from you, Alice. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't even know if she's part of a cycling club, but she's been going around oh. doing all these hill climbs, which is just phenomenal. And then there was another lady that put up about how she turned up and she didn't even know she could get up the hill without getting off and walking. But she turned off on the start line of the nationals and went up and I just thought, wow, you're such an inspiration because I wouldn't have done that. If I thought I had to get off and walk up a hill, I would have not been brave enough to race the nationals. Oh, but such, yeah, she, such a range and she of got people. up and I just thought, wow, like you just show everybody like how to push yourself out your comfort zone and have a go at something. And I think that, links back to my 12 hour like I had to do that and overcome some fears and you just don't I think you're the only person that puts limits on yourself really yeah oh it's just it's so interesting I think as a as a story and a journey that you've been on I think it's really inspirational and some really key points in there that that people can can pick up and may recognize in themselves to hopefully just make themselves a better cyclist and to to enjoy it but to be competitive um i'm obviously great great friends with you and we we stay in touch all the time but where can people keep um track and follow and um see what you're doing going um, forward so i do try and use social media a bit i do have an instagram account i'm not great at it um but or on Facebook, really, because I guess I'm using the Facebook a lot to set up the different groups and um, connect with people and encourage people to participate in different things. So, yeah, I'll be on there and I've pop, pop feeds up. Every are you now easy and to then. find? You don't have some unusual name. You no, are. I'm easy to find and uh, there's pictures of me cycling. So, uh, so we'll, we'll know it's you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Alice. I've had um, a great time chatting to you and you've been brilliant as my my first guest so I, I cannot thank you enough and I hope that you've enjoyed coming to Casa Velocino as well to yeah. record yeah thank you and I'd just like to say that if anyone wants any advice on how to get into different things ask like just drop me a message and ask always happy to help lovely thank you so my first podcast done if you'd like to contact us you can do it at podcast at velocino.com we're on social at Bellicino, and of course if you would like to give us a review on itunes that would be brilliant so thank you everyone for listening and hopefully i will see you next time